Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the EMC podcast. My name is Shelby Robinson and I'm your host for this series. Joining me today is co-host chaplain David Young. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks, Shelby. So glad to be here. Well, we are excited to have a very special guest with us today. Um, our first speaker for our fall discipleship program, um, Reverend Albert Hung. Welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here. So for those you know who are listening into this podcast today who maybe haven't watched the message that you've sent in yet, um, could you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do? Yes, uh, I serve as the district superintendent for the Northern California District Church of the Nazarene. Uh, I oversee 92 congregations that worship in 18 different languages. Many of them are centered in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, it's incredibly diverse, uh, very non-Christian. Um, so we really consider this a mission field here. and We have a tremendous opportunity to uh, make disciples of pretty much every people group on earth. There's 300 languages that are actually spoken in this area. Wow, that's incredible. It's an awesome area to be in. Um, so you are in Northern California. I wondered, could you share an update with us on how the fires are, um, maybe how that's affecting um, your district there? Yeah, uh, the air quality here, you may have heard um, in the last few weeks has been the worst in the world. Uh, so mm. it's been smoky, there's been ash everywhere, but it's cleared up over the last week. Um, a lot of the fires are still going. We've got um, uh, multiple fires kind of kicked off by some lightning storms that happened here. But as far as I know, there's been no loss of life or property among our Nazarene churches, although with uh, many of our neighbors, people have uh, lost homes, had to evacuate. And so we are mobilizing to see what we can do to, to help people on the ground. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're definitely continuing to pray for you and everyone who um, is being affected by those fires um, at this time. Um, so we do have a couple of themes that we are kind of focusing on this semester. Um, many of these you actually touched on in your message. Um, so first, I kind of wanted to mention our theme of Christian witness. Um, so we're trying to ask ourselves this semester, how can we step into our calling um, to be a Christian witness, no matter what that occupation or career path may be? Um, so Albert, I wondered, how did you end up where you are today? How did you know um, that you were being called to be a district superintendent in Northern California? Well, I, I uh, certainly wasn't looking for this position. Um, I love being a local pastor. I think it's a very strategic place to be, but more than that, it's a very life-giving place to be. Uh, to journey with a community of people that generally want to pattern their lives after Jesus, um, to be shaped by uh, the person of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, but more importantly, to follow uh, the spirit uh, of Jesus. And so I think that um, to be part of a family of people that have the same goal, even though we come from all kinds of different uh, backgrounds and language groups and cultures and political persuasions, you know, we come from all of these different groups. But the one thing that we have in common is that we love Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. So I was part of a multicultural, multi-campus uh, church. Uh, we had uh, two campuses, six different congregations. We had services in English, uh, Spanish, Chinese. We had a Filipino group. For a while, we had a Korean group. Uh, but to, to explore how other cultures um, 
view Jesus and see the gospel, because we all see that through our own cultural lenses. It's sometimes we think the way that we understand God is the only way to understand God. But we recognize, for example, that in Eastern cultures, um, people intuitively understand that it's about we, not about me, because they're collectivist uh, communal cultures, as opposed to a highly individualized culture in the United States, which is about my, my pursuit of happiness and my rights and so on. So we, we get that perspective by, by interacting with other cultures. So when I had an opportunity to become the superintendent of Northern California, um, even though we loved our local church, we sensed the Holy Spirit strongly saying, I want you to pay attention and to take this call because you have an opportunity to work in one of the most diverse areas in the world and the exposure that you will have to the global church and the opportunity you have to invest in the global church and to be among unchurched people, non-Christians, you're, you're not going to have that opportunity in a lot of other places. And at the time when I was elected, I was the only uh, superintendent, the only person of color in that role serving uh, an English-speaking district in all of USA, Canada. Uh, and so we felt, uh, my wife and I felt a strong um, burden to uh, step into that space for the sake of representation, um, to, to bring some diversity and to just advocate for, for groups that may have been marginalized within the church and in our, in our neighborhoods. You know, Albert, uh, you mentioned one of the, the sort of joys that you experience in pastoring a local church is that sense that you have this community of people who are all gathered around for the specific purpose of uh, being shaped by the spirit of Jesus and that that is the sort of communal common identity more than anything else, right? Like that's what's supposed to define us as a community more than any other potential identity. And as you say that, it strikes me that I'm hearing from a lot of other pastors that that's precisely what they're not feeling at this moment, uh, that there are so many other identities, especially as we draw close to an election, right? Um, mm -hmm. That there are so many identities that are actually dividing churches um, and making it so that they don't feel like their church is gathered around this common identity, but in fact that they're being pulled in different directions. Um, I just wonder what, you know, what you could speak into that, any words of encouragement uh, and thinking about that that sort of scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think about the parable of the sower where the farmer goes and sows seeds and in the field and some of it lands on, on thorny soil and it can't bear any fruit because it's choked. Uh, people are choked by worry, riches, and pleasure. And so I think what has happened is, um, although we, we say that we want to be formed by Jesus, we hold on to a lot of idols, um, and those things are being exposed during this pandemic. And uh, churches that I think have, have really focused on discipleship, uh, really um, focused on the life of Jesus and how that actually applies to the way that we live, the witness that we have in the world, and that churches that have, have established that our identity really is not a matter of left or right, a Republican or Democrat, or, or, or uh, all of these different labels that we have, that we really are kind of aliens in this world. And they established that before the pandemic hit, mm -hmm. are having an easier time 
navigating through this, but the ones that didn't, that maybe didn't identify what, what their idols are, all of that's being exposed during this time. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a sifting going on in the church and God is using this time to actually purify the bride. And so there are people that are going to fall away during this time. And what's left will be a smaller, but perhaps more faithful core, a remnant um, that God is going to use to rebuild. And so I think that we can trust that even though there's this earthquake happening in the church right now, that those who persevere will see God come through and see the spirit um, really begin to move. And in some ways it's, it's kind of like shedding all of these uh, extra things that we were kind of carrying with us mm. so that we can travel lighter and be a little more versatile uh, in, in the world right now. I think, you know, you mentioned even in that answer to you about the process of discipleship um, and kind of bringing that to the message you sent in um, for our students to listen to. Um, I wrote down a quote that says that, dis- that discipleship is the process by which the church joins God in forming people into the image of Christ. If God cares about justice, then so must we. If inclusion and equality are hallmarks of heaven, then those are things the church ought to be promoting here on earth. Um, so just to think about um, you know, what you said in that message, what ways are you seeing the church really promote that on earth today? Well, um, in some ways, sometimes the world does these things better than we do. <laughs> Uh, like Ben and Jerry's has like an, in, an inclusion clause and in like their, the, the way that they run their business and so on. Um, and so sometimes it feels like the church is catching up. And so when we, when we begin to talk about these things, it can feel like to some, like we're just jumping on the cultural bandwagon of the world, but actually these, these ideas, the, the in, radical inclusivity of, of the kingdom of God, and the way that Jesus welcomed in people that normally would have been rejected by the church. The Christians had that first because it came from Jesus, you know? So in a, in a sense, we're just reclaiming something that is, that has always uh, been ours, but how do we see the church doing that? I do see um, a, a ground level grassroots movement among especially younger uh, believers. So our, our millennials and our Gen Z are kind of leading the church in some way because they're not afraid to go into those spaces, to have those conversations, to talk to people who are not like them. And really that's, nothing else can be done without, without that, that willingness to be the stranger in unfamiliar settings. And I'm not just talking about within our culture, but within the church. You know, if, if you're white, go sit under a black pastor's teaching visit their church, be part of their community, um, expose yourself to different groups. If you're, if you're a Republican, talk to some Democrats. If you're a Democrat, talk to some Republicans. But it all, you know, we can only move at the speed of trust. And, uh, and there's only one way that trust can be built, and that's by proximity. And the mm-hmm. proximity is where love uh, is cultivated. And so we have to be in relationship. And so th- I think the main thing that I see in the church, especially among our younger people, is rather than kind of getting entrenched in our positions, there's a willingness to cross those lines uh, and engage. And if we just do that, I think a lot of the other things will begin to take care of themselves. Yeah, I, I was struck as well by this 
this same idea of discipleship that Shelby drew attention to, um, the idea that discipleship is the church sort of joining the spirit of Christ and forming and shaking, shaping people into the likeness of Christ. I was just curious, you know, how you came to that sort of vision of discipleship. Were there certain influences that, that pushed you in, in, in that direction or um, uh, what led you to think about discipleship in that way? I mean, is that, is that always how you've kind of thought about discipleship or is there some change or transformation that's happened for you there over the course of your life and the way that you think about that? Yeah, it's definitely changed. I, I was trained um, in two two areas. One is uh, education. So which is all about forming, you know, young people and students and so on. And the other was uh, entertainment. So I was, uh, I was in theater. Uh, I was in the music business. And so the arts uh, also uh, shapes culture and the way, the way that we think. So I've always kind of carried that. But once I became trained as a pastor, it seemed to me that the, that we were trained to do discipleship as like information transfer, creating content. Let me teach you the right things to think, or here's the history of the people of God and the church. And it's, it's information based. And then we go from information to just wanting people to apply that. Okay. Here's the information. I'll go do it. Right. Um, and I was really influenced by the work of, of Alan Hirsch uh, and Mike Breen, uh, Mike Breen, um, wrote a book called Building a Discipling Culture. And he talks about uh, kind of a, a three-legged stool or, or three ways in which people are formed. One is through instruction or information, which is what we're accustomed to. Um, and then we want people to jump from in, uh, information to innovation, which is just, you know, like figuring out how to apply it in your life. But there's a third piece, which is often missing, which is imitation. Mm. which is, you know, imitation, which it's where Paul says, follow my example, imitate mm. me as I imitate Christ. I'm sending you Timothy to remind you of my way of life, the way that I live, which is consistent with the way that I teach. Mm. And so I think if we're, if we want people to pattern their lives after Jesus, sometimes they need a, a living, breathing person like Jesus with skin on in front of us to imitate. So before you figure out how to do it in your life, just, just, follow me, just copy me do it the way I do it. And it's not going to feel totally right, but it's a way to do it. And then let's figure out what that looks like for you. And this is what uh, the disciples did with, with Jesus. They, they were like, uh, teach us how to pray. It's not like they had never prayed before. It's not like they were completely ignorant, but teach us how, how you pray because we want to follow your example. We, we want to become like our rabbi. We want to, everything that you know, we want to know, and everything that you do, we want to do wherever you go, we want to go there, whatever you eat, we want to eat that. We just want to become like you. So there's this uh, imitation piece to discipleship that I think is, is often underdeveloped. And I think part of that becomes, becomes because we're afraid that we don't measure up. And we're like, oh, I would never dare to ask anyone to imitate me. I'm too flawed. I'm too imperfect. Well, take that one thing that other people recognize as being Christ-like in you and just, you know, don't imitate everything about me. But this one thing about me, I feel like has been formed in the way of Jesus. And I don't do it perfectly, but, but I'm trying. So follow me, right? The way that I, for example, open my home to strangers. That's one thing that my wife, Christine, and I have really felt is so important is to model hospitality. Your home it's a place of ministry. It doesn't belong to me. We're stewards. And so we want 
prayer to happen in our living room with people. We want Bible studies. We want worship. We want people to be healed of their past. We want to see all of that happen in our own home, under our roof. And so that's shaped the way that we uh, think about hospitality. And that is one thing that we have confidently said to people that we've discipled, do what we do. When we were discipling young people and they finally purchased their own home, we said, now remember all those like hundreds of times that you were in our living room? Now do that for someone else, mm-hmm. right? And, we, and it was so gratifying to see that happen and to see uh, people in our church actually buy a home with that being their first consideration. Mm-hmm. It's not how many bedrooms does it have, but what does the living room look like and who can I have there? Can I host mm-hmm. people here? Can people be loved here? And the, the, to, for that to be the first thing that they think about and what neighborhood they were going to live in so they could be a witness was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So a common theme kind of that I hear um, people talk about on campus is kind of in relation to what you just shared, um, looking for someone um, to imitate. Um, so maybe they're looking for a mentor or just some leader that they could look to for that. Um, but a lot of them say that they're having a hard time finding that. So what would you say if, if there is a, a listener out there or a student out there who is looking for someone um, to be that mentor role, um, what would you kind of say to them to the encourage them in, in that um, search? Well, I would say two things. And, and one is actually speaking to those who could mentor others to say, actually, the onus is on you to gather people around you. That's mm-hmm. what Jesus did, you know, um, the, the rabbi goes looking for disciples. And so as, as older or more experienced Christians, whatever we've received, we have to be give away freely and just, just be on the lookout for people. Come, come into proximity with others and say, hey, you know, let's go have coffee. Let's hang out. Like I, tell me about yourself and just begin to invest in them. But for on the other side, if you're a student, you're looking for a mentor. Proximity works both ways. So I always found that when people seemed interested in, um, in hanging around me uh, and they, they had listened to things that I had uh, shared, you know, via a sermon or so on, or read things that I'd written and they just come and say, um, you know, can I just have like a half hour with you? And they, they kind of make the first move, I guess. I think many people are, willing to give you know half an hour or an hour of their time i have mentors i have like you know general superintendents that i've called up and just said can i have a half hour with you you know i just like to pick your brain about something and and most people i think are very very generous with their time um and if you sense a chemistry do it again just say can we do this again in a month you know Mm -hmm. but be be persistent be be curious be interested be humble Um, those are things that make someone uh, feel good about sharing what, what they know with you because you, you want to know it, you know, you, you're interested in receiving it. So another thing that, um, kind of caught my attention in the message that you shared with us, um, was this line that you shared, God's vision of the kingdom of heaven is far more inclusive and expansive than we dare to hope or imagine. Um, and that fits so well with our chapel theme this year. Um, David's sharing about the kingdom of God. Um, through his messages with the students. And so, again, if there are students um, or listeners in general who feel cut off from the church or feel maybe like they're not included um, in the kingdom of heaven um, or the family of God that you mentioned, um, what, what words of um, wisdom would you offer to them? 
Yeah, if I was talking to someone about, and they felt burned by the church, or they felt like they'd been rejected, there's no place in God's family for them. Um, first of all, we don't, don't argue with someone's story. Just receive it for what it is. It is what it is, you know. Um, and uh, what we want to do is, is display as much empathy and compassion as we can and listen well. Um, reflect back and just something along the lines of that. That's really, that sounds really hard. And I'm sorry you had to go through that, you know, just empathize with them. But I think we, what, what we want to get to is communicating the gospel of Jesus in a fresh and a different way um, because they have received a narrative of who God is and who Jesus is that perhaps has been damaging and so we can gently begin to go into conversation and say, you know, that's not, that's not the gospel that, that I was taught or that I understand. Is it okay if I share with you a little bit about um, my understanding of the kingdom or my relationship with, with Jesus? And just begin to let them know there, there's another way um, and a healthier way and a, and a more biblical way to understand what the gospel is really about. Um, but that requires that you've done some work that you uh, are grounded in um, your relationship with Jesus, that you find fi following Jesus something to be incredibly compelling and life-giving. Um, and if you're not there, I think it's okay to be honest about that and say, you know what, there's some things I'm working out to. Here's what I know. Here's what I, I feel convicted of but here are some areas where i'm still on a journey like just be authentic and and uh we're not trying to solve a problem we're trying to love a person and uh begin a relationship so that takes time you're not going to solve everything you're not going to solve a person and heal all their past with one prayer one conversation but what we hope to do is to become a trusted person uh, that we're looking ahead to the next the next time the next the next cup of coffee uh, the next walk in the woods, you know, whatever, whatever it might take to build that trust. Yeah, I'm curious too. Um, I mean, I think it's so interesting that you sort of framed your response to that question in terms of, you know, somebody, one person may hear uh, a certain packaging of the gospel message, so to speak, and that yeah, I think your response kind of acknowledged that like, you know, hey, like different Christians have different understandings of what the gospel is about. Um, I'm curious, uh, I mean, I'm thinking especially, you know, I, I think that I've encountered a lot of Christians in my life for whom their understanding of the gospel does not include uh, social justice, right? That they, that either that is seen as being antithetical to the gospel, or at the very least, it's a kind of optional addendum, right? Like it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm curious um, how you would think about that um, and what's kind of shaped your understanding of the relationship between the gospel and social justice. Uh, I think that when I talk about the gospel, um, we have to ground it in, in the words of scripture. And so there are certain foundational verses that shape my understanding of the gospel. And then somewhere along the line, you, when we look at social justice issues, we go, oh, well, that, 
that lines up. So that, that lines up with, with the scripture, not the scriptures lining up with that issue per se. Um, what I tell people is that there's no one verse in the Bible that really can capture the entire gospel. It's all gospel. It's like 66 books of good news. <laughs> and it, it took, you know, 40 writers, 2000 years, over 66 books to try to contain mm-hmm. the good news of God. And it still can't be contained in this one book. It's so much bigger than that, but we try, <laughs> we try, we try to communicate it. Uh, but it makes sense to me to just to go to Mark 115, um, as I think I mentioned in the message that, cause that's that, that book begins with the phrase, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Like, you know, this is what this book is about. And then 15 verses later, Jesus says that the kingdom of God has come near and the time has really come. It's here. Repent and believe this gospel, this good news. And so when you, when we move from a salvation based gospel, which is really about how we get to go to heaven and a kingdom based gospel, which is about how heaven is coming here. And therefore it will begin to infiltrate that the ethics and the values of the kingdom will begin to infiltrate and subvert every system on earth. Um, and that Christians are invited to participate in that sooner or later, you're going to touch on poverty sooner or later, you're going to touch on issues of race and justice because the, the, the fingers of the gospel are going to get into everything of God's kingdom. It's, it's unstoppable. You know, the, the kingdom is going to advance against the very gates of hell, everything that is evil and corrupt and, and, and wrong in the world. Uh, Jesus says, or the gospel tells us that, that Jesus came to undo the works of the devil. Right. And so um, how can we not eventually touch on justice issues? Because, of this inexorable advance of the justice and the kingdom and the shalom of God. Well, last question for you then. Um, if you had to give a final a word of wisdom or a final challenge to the ENC community um, on this podcast, what would that challenge be? The challenge would be, I think, um, to fully claim and lean into your identity as a follower of Jesus. Don't let other people tell you that because of their their understanding of the gospel or they they say that you know what this issue that you care about is god doesn't care about that or we shouldn't be about that don't let that discourage you bring whatever passion god has for you that has get put in your heart to create a world that looks more like heaven take whatever that is and bring it before god Make sure that it's grounded in scripture, you know, make sure that there are other believers who are helping to inform you, but then stay, stay um, in the fight. (laughs) You know, don't, don't give up. Don't be deterred. Uh, Every, I believe that, that God has planted in the heart of every believer uh, a vision of the kingdom and given each of us work that we are supposed to do. And it's, it's not given to someone else. It was given to you. And so part of what we need to do is develop resilience um, and know how to take care of ourselves and, and keep that fire going um, so that we are, we are, our spiritual life is, is vibrant. We are connected to other believers because we're going to need all of that in order uh, to run this race and finish well. So don't give in, don't give up just because the going is hard. It's, it's hard because it's worth doing. And my, I, it's tragic, I think, when young people uh, find it too hard and drop out. So 
find a way to persevere. Those are the ones that, um, that experience the joy of having fruit in their lives that they can then bring before God and say, this was all for you. And this was all done in your name. That's awesome. Well, thank you again so much um, for joining us on the podcast today. It was definitely a pleasure. Um, For those of you who are listening in, if you have not already watched the message from Albert, um, we definitely encourage you to go check that out. Um, It's such an important message for today about the radical inclusivity of God. Um, So thank you again for listening to the ENC podcast. This podcast series is sponsored by the Kaufman Initiative. The Kaufman Initiative is an endeavor sponsored by Eastern Nazarene College, supported and funded by the Kaufman family. The goal of the Kaufman Initiative is to reinvigorate Christian witness in America and has three aspects. The vision is to allow the ENC and local community to hear and be impacted by stories and practical wisdom of how to be faithfully Christian both inside and outside of the workplace. The Kaufman Initiative for the Renewal of Christian Witness exists to inform and inspire our community, students, faculty, staff, local pastors and churches, and the broader Christian population, to embark on a lifetime of fruitful witness and enhance the impact of UNC's mission, both on campus and by extension into the world through her alumni, for decades to come.